Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today we're talking about safer alternatives to toxic chemicals. And today's toxic chemical is mercury. And my guest here on the phone is Laura Henze Russell. Hello, Laura. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good. Uh, are you calling in from your home in Sharon, Massachusetts? Uh, yes, I am. Delighted to join you. Well, I'm thrilled that you can uh, have a chance to talk with us. I know that uh, next week, I understand next week you're going to talk before the town meeting. And so uh, if there's anything yeah. we can do to help you prepare for that, uh, let us know and stuff. Or let me know, I guess. Great. Well, this is the dry run, so I welcome your feedback and that from uh, our listeners. Um, yes, people are welcome to call in, and they can email me at rob at oceanriver.org. Uh, Laura, can I email you? Absolutely. That's laura at oceanriver.org. Uh, so, Laura, um, how did you get here? On well, How did you get so concerned about mercury poisoning? Well, uh, I actually suffered from dental uh, mercury poisoning. For about 20 years, I had uh, chronic pain, fatigue, uh, sleep, and memory problems uh, that was uh, eventually diagnosed as fibromyalgia, uh, something that a lot of my friends and colleagues were getting as well. And then, uh, but I did pretty well with it. But then between March 2011 and March 2012, I had a year of kind of uh, what started out small but then more acute and escalating um, cascading health problems. And I saw about a dozen different specialists, uh, and they could not diagnose them. And uh, about a year ago, last fall, I had pretty much given up hope um, and uh, thought I was going to be pretty debilitated and um, not have much of a life anymore. Um, and then, by the grace of God, uh, one of my doctors heard a presentation at a conference in Florida that some of the symptoms I had um, could be caused by a toxicity reaction to um, different kinds of dental materials. And I had a biocompatibility um, blood test done to see which ones I was reactive to and learned that um, among them was uh, mercury, which is... Uh, in dental amalgam, it's actually about 50% of dental amalgam, and uh, I learned that there's now new science out, and small amounts of mercury vapor escape from your fillings with heat and abrasion, as well as when they put them in and when they take them out. Those uh, are cavity fillings that are silver-colored? Yeah, the silver fillings that everyone who's uh, midlife and older is, is really stuck with, and that a number of other you know populations... Um, have a lot of as well. Um, but I was able, fortunately, I figured it out. Many people just kind of keep getting sick. You know, don't, don't do so well, premature aging, all that stuff. Um, but I was able to get treated and uh, get healthy again uh, by removing um, the ones that uh, were directly exposed and uh, following a detoxification protocol. Um, so, so first you have the fillings of... taken out and replaced by non-harmful ones, right? Right, right. I mean, so I still have issues. I still got stuff under hiding under crowns that needs to be dealt with. But the, oh, dear. Uh, the immediate offenders are gone. Um, and then the mercury is kind of vaporizing out of the metal. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of um, put myself into things. So um, I've worked on a lot of issues over my career, Um you know, community development and then helping, uh, you know, low-income families and kids and uh, uh, programs uh, helping uh, elders. And um, and then I got sick, and I kind of thought I was done, and I'm 58. It was seemed a little early to be done, but I, you know, wasn't able to do much. But now that I'm healthy uh, and um, learned so much, it's like, okay, I have a new cause. Let's work on this issue, bring all this new information that's coming to light, and see if we can't help people um, get healthy again and accomplish, you know, really great goals for people and uh, their families and also lower costs, which is good for everybody. 
Well, and we're thrilled you're finding the time to talk with us about yeah. all of this because it's a concern that most of us haven't thought about, but yikes, it's something to be worried about. How did uh, you manage to get the mercury out of your body once you knew you had mercury in there? Well, uh, and I guess a couple things I'd say just, you know, first in terms of a, a little background. One is that, um, as I've learned, and I've, I've, you know, gone actually around the country to different conferences to, you know, build up my knowledge base and expertise in this area, partly to figure out what I need to do, you know, personally for my health, but then, too, um, knowing that this is a cause that I want to work on, both uh, in terms of, you know, sharing knowledge of what people can do and working in a broad, systemic way on um, policy change and education and moving markets. And that's kind of how I linked up with you, because that's what Ocean River is about. Um, uh, but I, so one thing I was going to say is that um, I've learned that it's really certain gene types that don't clear mercury as well as others, which partially explains why it seems to be a problem for, uh, or at least a, a, a more uh, more acute problem for some people than others. Hmm. And that's you know that's new information because people keep saying, well, it's been used for, you know. Uh, been used for about 150 years. It was developed before the Civil War. How can it be a problem um, if, uh, you know, if I don't have a problem or other people haven't had a problem? Well, you won the gene lottery. You've got the right genes and clear it well as it's, uh, you know, a little bit vaporized, and so it won't be a problem for you. It is, of course, a problem for the environment because um, mercury from many different sources gets into the air and the water supply and into fish, and then we eat it, and we've got this great big cycle. I've also learned it passes through the placenta and breast milk, so we could pass it on to our children, even if they never get a, a, a silver filling in their life. And uh, it also emits, um, uh, one of the bad things I learned when my mom died this summer is um, it's uh, crematoria are exempt from strict pollution controls in they don't remove um, uh, these silver fillings before cremation, so it kind of gets distributed out into the bays and, and air and, and oceans. So it's this horrible big cycle of you know, mercury um, toxicity that uh, we really need to break, and we've been breaking it in other areas um, in terms of you know, phasing out a lot of products like the old thermometers we used to use and uh, uh, getting it out of uh, drugs that it used to be in uh, and unfortunately, so the EPA is very aggressive on this, and unfortunately, in our mouths, it's considered a medical device and under uh, the FDA's purview, and they uh, keep dragging their feet on this one. Well, mercury is a heavy metal, so it is very tenacious. Once you get it, it, it doesn't leave your body, so it can accumulate. And we've done other programs about these, you know, bioaccumulating toxins that we have to deal with. And it must have been difficult at first to know the source of the mercury. You know, mercury comes off of tires. So if you went through life standing at a bus stop waiting for a diesel bus to pick you up, you know, one might think that the mercury in your body came mostly from the, the, the road surfaces, the tires, and the diesel smoke. Um, but lo and behold, it's coming from the dental fillings that you have. And right. So how did, how did you manage to rid your body of uh, some of the mercury? Well, um, it's kind of a it's a been a interesting learning process. Um, the analogy I give is I kind of felt like I was um, Alice in Wonderland and I fell in a rabbit hole. And or actually a series. The first was when I got sick, and I'm like, I mean, I used to be an incredibly healthy person. I was an ocean lifeguard, um, the first woman ocean lifeguard in Suffolk County, New York. So you can imagine I was in pretty good shape. Um, and you know, I used to hike and swim and kayak and sail and bike and and you know when I got fibromyalgia I really had to stop a lot of that and do you know very very modest moderate stuff and that was a big adjustment um so uh but to get the mercury uh, out did you the mercury special out, medication so like, or holistic um, medicine or how I really form? looked into it you know I kind of poured myself into pouring through the internet and and talking with various you know people and you know, getting more and more. My, my poor primary care physician was giving me third opinion consults and all, all these leading specialists and leading Boston hospitals. And unfortunately, this was not on their radar screen. It was not even raised as a consideration. 
Um, but eventually I found someone in, who, you know, kind of believed me, uh, and, but he still didn't know what was going on until about six months later he goes to this conference, hears about this. Then I start, you know, conversing, you know, with this person who's been dealing with people all over the country having similar problems. You know, so uh, my doctor, we get his protocol, and so there are a couple of sort of basic things you need to do. Um, one, you need to find a biologic dentist, which I'd never heard of before. Um, and biologic dentists are the um, a subset of dentists who've learned about this problem and then, you know, do extra research, join associations to learn more, um, you know, get special training and equipment. And they really follow the science on this um, in a way that, uh, that most dentists don't because in dental schools they're taught that this is not a problem. That well, what did he do you know, for you? Well, well, I had to get this, then I had to get a biocompatibility blood test to see how my immune system reacts to different dental materials because you don't want to take out amalgam and put in something that could be bad for you for other reasons, you know. That's so a good idea, yep. If so you have you sulfur allergy, out. you don't want that. So, um, and then, unlike all the other dentists, and trust me, I've had way too much dental work in my life, I've just always had bad teeth, um, when they remove it, they use all kinds of special um, protocols for and in equipment to minimize the risks to you to them and to their staff. So this and is physically so removing I, the dental amalgam from your teeth. Right. They want to and be careful so, not to splatter it around or, you know, have it, you know, any crumbs yeah, falling around. Yeah, because and, it, a lot vaporizes when they remove it, and, and the timing of my fibromyalgia was onset um, soon after I stopped breastfeeding and had a bunch of deferred dental work, and they had to drill out a bunch of amalgam and put in crowns, and lo and behold, you know, in, in hindsight, 20 years later, oh, Okay, that's helped onset it. Not saying it was the only factor, but no, because that's a good one. Degrades your immune system. You, you know, you tend to be uh, taken down by other things that you'd otherwise be strong enough to fight off. So you remove the amalgam, but you also actually, even before you start that, you you kind of kind of build up your detox pathways, and so you know, there's different supplements you can take, and different people have different protocols in terms of. Um, what you take to build up your ability to clear mercury, um, and then again under you know working with a dentist who has you know the right training, the right equipment, the right safety protocols. Um, you work on uh, removing it, replacing it, and then this protocol also called for lymph drainage massage because that helps get it out some of the places that's, that's kind of hiding you in your skin. the lymph nodes and things, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's you know, well, you're the scientist. I I was not, um, but uh, no, obviously, you know, as, as a human being, you know, what does one have to go through? And you had to go through a the whole physical removing of the the dental amalgam, and it had to be done in a safe way. And B, you had to do some medical things to diminish the mercury that was gone adrift in your body. And right. that's what you're and saying that it has the to other be. Thing is like the whole for each individual is going to be different is, what they do. It's also hard because the other thing why mercury is, let's say, a harder nut to crack than, say, lead was, um, is that the standard test they do for heavy metals yeah. only shows current exposure. So finally, when I found, you know, saw a neurologist who decided to order the test because I already told her what the problem was, um, I did have a, you know, elevated blood mercury level, but my... Um, it wasn't particularly high. I mean, it was higher than it, than the level, but she's like, eh, I'm not really concerned. And I'm like, well, I have these horrific symptoms, so I'm concerned. And then my um, the standard urine test they do, it, it wasn't significant at all. Um, but then I finally, you know, I've been working my health plan as well as having a lot of problems with my dental plan, and I asked them to identify somebody who had experience in this area and this person had about a six-month waiting list, so I actually saw them recently and had what's called a challenge or provoked urine test where they give you a chelator before you they test your, your urine. And lo and behold, I still do have high um, heavy uh-huh. metals. And what that shows is, is what the science who, you know, the more informed uh, scientists are saying is that if you don't clear mercury well, it stays bound up in your cells and 
you know, body and brain and is actually doing more damage. So having a negative test on the conventional test doesn't mean you're not at risk. It just means you're not eating a lot of tuna fish every day. Oh, that's um, good. Or high mercury so, uh, foods. Um, <laughs> my guest is Laura Hensey Russell, and she's talking about um, safer alternatives to toxic chemicals. In particular, she's been dealing with the chemical mercury, and it's been manifesting in her dental fillings, amalgam dental fillings. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after that. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking to Laura Henty Russell about dental amalgam poisoning from mercury, and Laura's calling us from, uh, Laura, where are you calling us from? Uh, Sharon, Massachusetts. And so next week, Sharon has a town meeting, and um, you've been invited to speak to the town meeting. What are you going to tell them? Well, I actually got uh, signatures from residents who were concerned, like I am, about um, dental mercury amalgam, and uh, so we have three articles that will be coming up Monday night before town meeting um, that are designed to um, raise awareness about this issue and begin to solve some of the um, problems that arise from um, uh, the United States not treating it as seriously as it needs to be and not as seriously as certainly a number of other nations. So the three goals are going to be? Well, our goals, uh, the first is to really encourage uh, everyone in the town um, on a voluntary basis to learn about the health impacts resulting from mercury because it does uh, mask a lot of different diseases. Uh, Our second goal is to reduce this hidden river of um, toxic mercury in people because it helps us all get healthier. Yay. And, yes. And, uh, and helps the environment as well. And then the third is to specifically to pass these town meeting articles to help us all improve our health and to lower our um, health care costs. So those are the three goals. And Excellent. And you've set out um, three articles. 
And the first one is to do what? Uh, the first is uh, two resolutions. It's basically uh, uh, ask that the town adopt uh, two resolutions. The first focuses on the town, and so we call upon the town and its boards and the school department uh, and other committees that are interested uh, to learn about, publicize, and uh, encourage residents to get involved on a voluntary basis um, to focus on the issues, risks, and alternatives to mercury amalgam in dentistry during the coming year. So it's kind of, we have this thing in town called uh, One Book, One Town, and every year they pick a book and then a lot of people read it and there's a whole month where there are different activities on everybody gets into the book, whether they reenact it or have debates or discussion groups and look at the history around it. It's, it's a good thing. So my uh, idea is let's do something similar for a year on this, you know, interesting, uh, naughty, and important health issue. Because there are things people can look at it from, you know, the science or the health, or they can look at the policy issues, or they can go back and look at some you know, historical um, episodes around mercury poisoning, and, you know, they can... Laura, uh, tell us debate. about those, those impacts that you're going to tell the Sharon people. Okay. Mercury so, is- um, I, people need to learn about the health impacts because um, uh, too many doctors, they think this stuff is, you know, something that doesn't happen anymore. So, and unfortunately, they're not that familiar with the uh, um, problems of um, that, uh, how health mercury can manifest in your body. So everyone knows, I think, that it's a known neurotoxin because it's been phased out of so many products. Um, not everyone knows that dental amalgam is 50% mercury. Um, and even fewer people know, because this is new information, that it has been proven to off-gas um, with heat, uh, with abrasion, when it's in contact with other kinds of metals, and also, you know, there's certain other biochemical reactions. So now the, the debate is, well, does it off-gas enough to hurt people or not? And the dental establishment says, no, it's little amounts. A um, couple things. The standards for um, off-gassing are done for occupational exposures, which is eight hours a day, you know, five days a week, not 24, 7, 365. The other thing, and this is new, is that it's now uh, pretty well established that there are certain gene types that don't clear mercury well. So, you know, the standards may be relevant to 80% of the population, but terribly wrong for 20%, which have these other gene types. Right, um, and I so, see that 80% of the vapor is off-gas, is inhaled, I guess. Yeah, when it, when it comes off your teeth, whether it's when they're putting it in, drilling it out, or day to day as you're drinking your coffee and you know chewing your your uh, candy or whatever your food, eighty um, percent of what's off gas is inhaled, and it's the mercury vapor that's the most toxic. Also, you know, in fish, it's it's methyl mercury. That's so there's different forms of mercury, but the stuff in your teeth, it's when it's vaporized that it does its. Right. How it does its damage. Yeah, that's what we're um, mostly talking about is the, the dental mercury poisoning. Right. What and are some of the health of, impacts in terms of mercury poisoning roles, you know? Well, it's, you know, I heard this great presentation by a physician up in the Groton Wellness Center, and, you know, he talks about uh, it plays the role as a hijacker, as a heavy metal, so it goes in and disrupts enzymes, Um it plays the role of a thief because it's so strongly charged and heavy. It steals electrons from cells, which messes up chemical reactions and causes oxidation. And everybody knows oxidation is kind of the root of a lot of chronic disease and health problems. Um, it's kind of a striker. It damages the cell membranes. And in a sense, you know, there's all this communication stuff. It's like, it's, he says, it's like taking the cell towers out. And so then, the, you know, the transport goes on strike. So, you know, he's supposed to get food in and waste out of cells, and that's not happening so well. Um, it's kind of a destroyer, damaging the liver, which makes it harder for you to detox all kinds of things. You know, it kind of, it's a fatiguer because it apparently does damage to those little mitochondria energy, you know, engines and cells. Um, 
kind of a reaper because it di- damages the myelin sheaths in nerves and can lead to these sort of neurofibrillary tangles. Um, it's a scrambler because it can damage the immune system and lead to leaky gut and kind of a change artist in mutating DNA. And then last but not least, and this is the one that, you know, sort of it's known for in history, the Dementor, because it changes moods, behavior, robs memory. And everybody remembers the Mad Hatter in um, Alice in Wonderland. The Hatters were poisoned by uh, mercury in the hat-making process. Um, right. So it's it's not good for people. And it, it's, you know, the science is, is uh, evolving, but there's a lot of new articles that raise really strong concerns. Again, Well, well with, that's right, but this is what your, uh, your first article is for people to learn these things about seeds right. and stuff like that. Because then, if then you're, you're going like to have an me, article that does what? The okay. informed consent one? Is that the next one? Yeah. Oh, I guess But the, I, I, I have to pick up the pace because there's one other part of the first article, which is there's the FDA does not follow the recommendations of its scientific advisory panel. If it did, mercury would amalgam would be restricted and not used in young children, not used in pregnant women, and not used in people with a known allergy to mercury, which is probably those people who don't clear it well. So the second part of the article says that we, the town will write a letter to uh, the president um, urging him to uh, direct the FDA to follow the recommendations of its scientific advisory panel and restrict amalgam. That would be huge because that's people have been working on that and they've been resisting it for uh, way too long. And so that's that's Article 1. Now, Article 2, we have because maybe that won't happen immediately. We hope it does. But if it does not, um, what we can do is push for informed consent in our town. Uh, there are four other states that have passed informed consent laws concerning um, mercury dental amalgam and the city of Philadelphia. And so the goal here is uh, to give patients the same warnings that dentists get from the manufacturers about the risks of um, dental amalgam. So, uh, and the FDA was sued in 2008 for dragging its feet on classifying amalgam um, and so, as a result of a court settlement, then the, the judge did find that the, the FDA was wrong and had to complete the process. So they uh, wound up moving it to class two, which um, uh, doesn't require restrictions, but did require a guidance document. And so, in that guidance document, the manufacturers have to include the following warnings uh, whenever the product is shipped to the dentist. And it says... In big letters, warning contains mercury. Uh, it says, may be harmful if vapors are inhaled. It says, do not use in persons with a known mercury allergy. It says, do not place the device in direct contact with other types of metals. And it says, use with adequate ventilation. So this uh, second article, uh, Article 12, is... Um, require those warnings uh, to be given to patients so they would be both posted and handed out. And uh, they would be given to patients both before it's put in and also before it's replaced or removed. And uh, additionally, when it's um, replaced or removed, uh, there would be a sheet of questions to ask your dentist about removal that would just be kind of general um, but uh, to try to have a dialogue to see if this dentist has the kinds of um, special equipment that would be needed to remove it more safely. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, um, do you use a rubber dam? Is your suction system powerful and efficient? Do you apply lots of water when you remove the filling? Do you remove it in large sections as opposed to, say, drilling it out, which, you know, which is not good? Um, and do you use um, alternative ear sources and equipment to reduce the in- inhalation by the patient? Uh, so some dentists will say, absolutely, I do all that stuff. Others will say, no, I really don't think it's a problem. That's not the kind of dentist that I would go to or recommend going to anymore. Um, right, but so this hoping- resolution will enable people to see clearly and discuss with their dentists the steps to protect themselves. 
Right. So we hope it moves more dentists uh, to do I mean, 53% of dentists don't use it anymore, so they know it's not that great. Um, they don't want to put themselves at risk. But uh, uh, but they don't all know about the safe removal techniques and practices. So, you know, it's kind of like green... green that's good. Um, Town's making sure that the dentist knows safe removal practices. That's, that's a good resolution to have. And you've got a right. third resolution here. Right. So the third one is... Um, to uh, ask that the town offer and the school department offer an option of a cost-neutral dental plan to um, employees. Right now, uh, dental plans uh, pay, I mean, um, because amalgam is still the standard of care as far as the FDA is concerned, so they get to, to rule on that. So most dental plans have moved to the point where they'll pay for, you know, these sort of tooth-colored alternatives in the front six teeth, what they call the smile area. So they do that for cosmetic reasons, if you want it. However, most people have cavities in the back, in their molars or bicuspids, and there the dental plans say, ha, that's your problem. So if you need that replaced, we'll pay, you know, just the amount we would pay if we were putting more amalgam back in, which is pretty cheap, and then you get to make up the difference. Um, and unfortunately, even if it's medically necessary, if, you know, I've appealed twice with doctor's letters and the lab results and had, you know, people like my state rep, uh, the employer uh, benefits office call in and it's like, sorry, we we have a contract, we can only do this, you know, it's your tough luck. Um, so unfortunately, they have premiums, you know, at this point from decades and high five figures, um, which I can't access to do the work needed in my mouth. So that's uh, a problem. So um, this wouldn't solve it for everyone, but it would um, educate everybody about it and, again, give town employees. I mean, town employees have to pay 100% of their dental insurance, so why not give them the option of buying a plan that will be better for them? Um, okay, so, so the, plan, the current that. plan is if it costs thirty-five dollars to do the, or they put in thirty-five dollars for the dental amalgam, if you want something alternative, they'd only put in thirty-five dollars, and they'd only, they'd only, only put for in more for right. percentage, right? Right, right. And so, so even it, though you know your your plan limit might be three thousand dollars a year, if you need work done that's going to cost a thousand, but they might wind up only paying for you know. $66, you know, is a small amount because yeah. the amalgam is, is cheap. So it's, it's kind of this systems approach. If we can work on all three goals of learning about the health impacts, um, reducing this, you know, hidden river of toxins in people, and then pass these articles to get it moving. Um, again, uh, this informed consent has been done in other states and some other cities. Uh, the, um, uh, and uh, it's the insurance, the dental insurers say they wouldn't mind providing cost-neutral dental plans, but people need to ask for them. So we've got to move markets. We've got to educate people. Everybody should say, hey, if I have a dental plan, could you please get quotes on that and give us that option? Then things will move. Sometimes things move faster that way than through the regulatory process where we have this kind of regulatory rigor mortis going on. Right. So, so in, in the minute remaining, um, how would you summarize this? Well, I hope that, gonna... uh, you know, it's uh, it's hard to predict what town meeting will do, um, but uh, I think we're getting the ball rolling, and there's certainly been a lot of um, interest and support as I've gone around and spoken with places like, you know, uh, the Lions Club and Rotary Club and League of Women Voters. Um, it's typically the first time people have heard or even thought about this issue. Well, and that's great. And I hope that they understand that by passing these articles, the results will be better informed citizens, reduce use of dental mercury, and improved health and lower costs for the citizens of Sharon, Mass. Right. That's definitely our goal. Well, Laura, thank you. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with my guest, Laura Hensley-Russell, to talk more about... Um, uh, what she's doing on a statewide uh, to alleviate the prob- troubles and problems with uh, mercury poisoning. Thank you. I seen the of it. Yeah, I know. Can you 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Laura Hensey-Russell. And uh, Laura has uh, come to work for the Ocean River Institute directing a campaign to, uh, for safer alternatives to toxic chemicals, in particular the toxic chemical of mercury that she's had a lot of personal experience with and that she's leading an effort in Sharon, Massachusetts that we just heard about at the town meeting coming up there. Laura, um, tell, how does uh, Ocean River fit to your needs? Well, uh, I was, uh, when I first got into this, uh, I actually um, was looking for a physical agent who could provide an organizational home for this so I could focus on the work as opposed to, you know, building the organization in the early stages. And uh, by chance, I uh, met uh, you at a college reunion, and by when I said what I was doing, you took great interest. So... Uh, we partnered up, and um, I very much appreciate your uh, work and leadership and expertise on this. And uh, it's been a, a pleasure, and uh, look forward to continuing that. Right. So I invite people to go to oceanriver.org, and you'll get to our homepage, and across the top of the homepage are different actions and partners. And if you click on partners, that's the best way in, right, Laura? Right, and so the name of, of this is, uh, partner is called Hidden River Health Challenge. And it's and you'll see a picture of Laura and uh, the Hidden River Project, and you click on that, and um, there you are with um, the challenges of Safer Amur. What is Safer Amur? Well, it's, uh, Safer Amur is Safer Alternatives to Mercury Amalgam in Dentistry. So it's like uh, there yep. are safer alternatives, and we want to promote them. And uh, we want to spread awareness and get the kind of changes in the you know, government and markets in place and so that uh, it becomes, we can retire its use in the U.S. the way it's been retired in Scandinavia, uh, and it's being phased out in some other places, and uh, time for the United States to step up to the plate. So you're really leading a charge with a social innovation enterprise that combines the best of local grassroots and collaborative cloud-based outreach, engagement, education, enterprise, 
evidence-based research, strategy development, actions and advocacy by the people who care. Uh, we're going to have to cut that one back. We're going to have to winnow that one down, aren't we? Well, this is how you sound. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of us are just going to read you on the website, but you do go on to say, um, help us, you know, to, you're reaching out to children and young people, and then you're working to engage people from all ages and walks in life, and you're working with reaching out to decision makers. This is where the Ocean River Institute really excels, is connecting people with decision makers. And, um, and you, need to, you want to take it a step further also to reach the health and dental plans through employers and employees and join with other nations in ceasing the use. Well, we're gonna got a little work cut out for us here in Massachusetts um, <laughs> before we go na- as we go national, and um, I think we're gonna have to hold off on the international for a bit. The um, other people are doing that. We're, we that's in good hands. We need to focus on the, the local, state, and national. I agree. Right. So my favorite state thing is um, that on we're in Boston. We're in Cambridge here. I'm sitting in Harvard Square. And over in Boston on Beacon Hill, across the Charles River, um, is the state government. And State Representative Jay Kaufman from Newton and a bunch of other good, um, what I call blue-green heroes, uh, elected officials, have put together a bill called Safer Alternatives to Toxic Chemicals. And this is an ingenious bill because it doesn't say safer alternatives to carbonated fluorocarbons and then gets the carbonated fluorocarbon companies all after them. Uh, instead, it says, and some states like California do that. They, they find when there's a safer alternative that's been proven, then they pass a law on that one specific item. But uh, in Massachusetts, I think it's much more entrepreneurial because we're saying uh, develop a safer alternative and the state will mandate that that be used, even if it costs a little more than the, um, than the more toxic version. And because uh, that's the biggest threshold for new businesses is that until you get market share, you can't bring the cost down because you're making so few of them. So this helps to make Massachusetts an incubator for um, safer alternative chemicals to serve the nation and the world by, you know, being a crucible like this. And um, so you've been talking to representatives about uh, having this work for dental amalgam, and you think that this bill will help with that? Yeah, but I think we also need some complementary strategies because um, most of the chemicals are regulated by the EPA, and the problem with amalgam is that it's regulated by the FDA, which kind of gives it special protective status. Um, so in addition, I think we need kind of this, what's exciting is the ability to mount a kind of two-pronged approach. So I think we definitely want to press with the uh, Safe Alternatives Bill, uh, and and that will solve a whole host of challenges we're facing. And I think additionally, we want to sort of flank this issue. So um, I'm additionally working um, with uh, my Rep. Kafka and um, Senator Brian Joyce uh, on legislative strategies to, you know, look at the, the other aspects, which include the sort of regulatory, you know, medical and dental and um, some of the financing aspects and the insurance aspects. So I think if we, if we yes. combine um, the safe chemicals with this other stuff, because this is a medical device, that will, that will be really fruitful. Right, because you don't want to pass this safe alternatives for dental amalgam mercury and then have all the insurance companies turn around and charge everybody extra. You know, so this is good. You're working at multi-levels so that the user, the citizens don't get uh, left carrying all the bill. Right. Given that the dental insurance companies have our premiums over decades, please let us use them for the work we need to get done to be healthy. So, so um, I think this is going to be a really exciting um, session because um, uh, I think there's more and more people just are realizing that too many of the things in the environment that then get into us are not good for us. It's just at the same time, they're not good for other species. Um, so um, I think it's pretty exciting. I think there's going to be a lot going on in this 
area uh, in Massachusetts. There is a lot happening uh, at the local level, such as in Sharon, at the state level in Massachusetts, in other states, and at the federal level. And I invite you, if you're interested in keeping up with what's going on, to log on to OceanRiver.org and sign up for our, our free e-alerts that we uh, put out when we have something to say, maybe uh, two or three times a month. Um, and so you can be informed about what, when, you can, when you can take action. You know, at some point we'll be doing a letter-writing campaign uh, gathering comments on why put through the safer alternatives to toxic chemical bill in Massachusetts. And it would be great to, if people would like to uh, be part of that and add their words. We actually, uh, unlike other institutions, we actually collect people's comments. I make sure they sound good, and then we print it out and, and um, present it in a, in a nice format for the decision-makers so it's more likely to be left out on tables and stuff where they can see that citizens, not just from the state of Massachusetts, but tourists and, and so forth uh, from all over care about, you know, the, the healthy environment and the healthy people of Massachusetts or the nation. Uh, mercury is a poison, in, and um, the Safer Alternative Bill um, will also um, have opportunities for other ways to protect people from mercury poisoning. Um, uh, Laura, where, how else can we get, are we, contact, are we running into contact with mercury? and What do we have to worry about? Um, well, um, a number of ways. There's mercury in the air from emissions from coal-fired plants. There's uh, mercury in fish and the fish that kind of, you know, where it concentrates in the fish that, uh, you know, are fatty and like tuna and swordfish. Um, there's mercury, unfortunately, in the compact fluorescent light bulbs. Um, and uh, there's still mercury in some other products which are being phased out. I mean, there's there's some pretty encouraging news. I was surprised to see that um, there was a uh, the U.S. has an export ban on mercury that goes into effect January first, um, two thousand thirteen. So we're not Excellent. supposed to be exporting it anymore um, overseas, and uh, it's been phased out of. Um, childhood vaccines, there's still small amounts in the batch uh, flu vaccines, um, and I believe it's being phased out of some other kind of switching, you know, equipment um, thermostats and that kind of thing. So the, the trend is to kind of put this stuff to bed, and there's actually a international treaty being negotiated that the U.S. has been supporting to phase out mercury use, period, uh, because of all the problems that it creates. Yeah. And they work well together. I'm a big fish eater, and um, people say, well, don't you get mercury poisoning? And the, the mercury bioaccumulates up the food chain, so it's only those who have to pay top dollar and eat top of the chain, you know, the tigers of the sea that are likely are getting the, the mercury poisoning. Um, even with tuna fish, when you have a tuna melt, the chances are the tuna melt is from a yellowfin tuna, which is a quarter the size and many years younger than the bluefin tuna that are preferred for sushi and, and raw tuna. And uh, those, because they live longer and um, eat more, um, have a thousand times more harmful chemicals just because of those two factors. So I, I encourage people to eat seafood, but I encourage you not to eat swordfish and bluefin tuna. I actually got one of those um fish wallet cards that downloaded from the Environmental Working Group, and it's great. I just carry it around, so when I go to the fish counter, I pull it out and make sure I'm getting uh, one of the recommended fish. Yeah, but if those of us who just are, want to keep it simple, the smaller the fish is, the more healthy it is for you. <laughs> right, and, also, and I guess the younger, right? I found that canned mackerel costs a third of what canned tuna does, and it's a thousand times less polluted than even the yellowfin tuna. Um, so isn't it odd that the poorest, you know, the poorest food is the most healthy for you and the fancy food is uh, least healthy in the case of these shishi fish things? Um, Laura, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Um, again, how can people reach you if they want to learn more about uh, your work? Uh, they can email me at uh, laura at oceanriver.org, and I also have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash hidden river and uh, we'll be setting up like a you know email list and then I've you know that kind of thing because uh, 
it really helps to get people who want to learn more and we can keep them informed and then alert them, uh, you know, uh, through Ocean River to actions that they can take in, in your communities. Uh, if you're outside of Massachusetts, there's stuff you can be doing as well. Um, and uh, we can get healthy, lower costs, and save the environment at the same time. That, that uh, works for me. Yes. Now, next, uh, next week or the week after, we're going to be talking with um, Elizabeth... I lost my notes here. Saunders? Yeah, Elizabeth Saunders. Um, I just had lunch with her, and uh, she's from Clean Water Action and has been leading the charge for 12 years on this safer alternatives to toxic chemicals. Um, and so she'll be a guest on uh, Ocean River Shields of Achilles uh, soon because uh, we want to get our stories together so that we can take them to Beacon Hill when the next session starts in January. We're looking forward to a very exciting sessions on uh, Beacon Hill this next two years before the next election because the governor has two more, his last two years and also the president of the Senate. This is her last two years. So we're thinking because this is, they will probably be more bold in their actions and that means more green and, and more good for the environment, uh, given these circumstances. And the uh, Speaker of the House, the same situation, although he will serve longer. Um, is, this bodes well for um, getting our environmental legislation through the next two years. So please uh, sign up for the Ocean River Institute's uh, e-alert at www.oceanriver.org. Uh, Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.